Attention architects and creative minds, get ready to supercharge your brand with Build Your Brand, the podcast that's unlocking the secrets of branding success for creatives. Hey there, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my friend, architect marketing expert, Jeff Eccles at Build Your Brand Podcast, where he explores the captivating stories of the world's top brands and transforms their lessons into powerful moves for small firm architects and creatives like you. In season one, Jeff shares the thrilling tale of Southwest Airlines, where he dissects their journey to the summit and distills it into strategies tailor-made for you. It's important to keep in mind that companies like Southwest compete in the real world, just like you, and face real-world challenges, just like you. You might be surprised at how similar those challenges are to the struggles that you grapple with on a day-to-day basis. Don't miss out on your blueprint for success. Subscribe, tune in, and let's build your brand together. You may have noticed that the very best brands in the world are also known for having somewhat unique corporate cultures. That's often the glue that holds everything together when they encounter those rough spots. We don't do it because it inconveniences the passengers to whom we are primarily dedicated, the short haul, uh, frequent flyer. Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Your Brand today. Remember, no matter the size, the journey's the same. Your brand's journey to the top starts here. Entree Architect community, welcome to the backstage area of Context and Clarity. Every Thursday afternoon on Context and Clarity Live, Catherine McPhail and I and our live audiences that are joining us from all across the internet, we get to talk to a special guest to search for clarity around the things that matter most to you, the architect, no matter what your context is. You may be the employee of a firm that's dreaming of doing your own thing. Or you may have had your own firm for a year or 10 years or 20 years, and you're starting to rethink or reimagine what that firm could or maybe even should be. Every week, we cover topics that fall under the broad umbrella of the business of architecture. And they're all the need-to-know topics for the success of entrepreneur architects just like you. If we've never met before, my name is Jeff Eccles, and what you're about to listen to is the audio recording of a conversation that my co-host Catherine McPhail and I had to break down this week's Context and Clarity live conversation. So thanks for joining us as we share our biggest takeaways and look for ways to apply what we heard in the Context and Clarity live conversation to our own businesses. In this episode of Context and Clarity, we talk about passion and sacrifice, and we talk with Ken Coleman. We talk about the fact that the Entree Architect Community Facebook group is blowing up with the pros and cons, the evils and the promises of AI. Just when I think that we may be moving on to other current events, these artificial intelligence discussions just keep blowing up. And we also recap our Context and Clarity live conversation with Ken Coleman. Ken is the host of the Ken Coleman Show on the Ramsey Solutions Network. And he's the author of The Proximity Principle, which, not coincidentally, was our Context and Clarity book club book that we read last month. Before we get into it, though, in case you're new around here, thanks for giving the Context and Clarity podcast a try. 
Second, if you are new around here, you may not know that every weekday morning, we kick context and clarity off with what we call our coffee talk. It happens at 9 a.m. Eastern on the Clubhouse app. It's an hour where you can speak. Clubhouse is a voice-only social app where we hear your voice, but we don't see you. There's no posting of anything, no links, nothing like that. It's just conversations. I think it's a really cool way to connect. We have the Context and Clarity Club there inside of Clubhouse for those conversations. So all of that happens before we ever get to our daily Context and Clarity conversations at 4 p.m. Eastern every weekday in the Entree Architect Community Facebook group. Those two places, the Clubhouse app and on Facebook, in the Facebook group, are where every day architects just like you gather to dig into the topic of the day. You can ask questions. You can answer questions. You can share your experience. You can really bring that experience and your curiosity to these conversations about the business of architecture. And that, of course, brings us right back here where we recap Context and Clarity Live. That's the live stream interview show that goes out to Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Twitch, and YouTube on Thursday afternoons. So in addition to everything else that I've mentioned here on the podcast, we'll continue to give you our hot takes on those interviews. In this episode, Catherine and I will share our takeaways from our Context and Clarity Live interview with Ken Coleman, host of the Ken Coleman Show. So let's talk about let's talk about some of the things that are going on as I said, inside the Entree Architect community. Both the context and clarity because live I think you know we we talked about also for this AI episode and our new and uh, ChatGPT a couple of weeks ago, I think it was. She's in and as I was scrolling through in the Entree Architect Catherine who's Facebook group. home renovations with I, house maven. you know and it was like she's the probably CEO at least six conversations about okay, AI I'm forward to giving uh, you a and or chat GPT and it was in the world just, of entree architects you know, that's so that's why I texted you and said hey should we talk about this in as should I talk about I talk AI again because we just talked about it but I think we I think we really do with Kenny to I agree I mean it's just ongoing and people are getting more and more I don't know if into it is the right word, but more involved with it. I, I noticed there was somebody who was who had suggested, and I think it's a great idea of of um, what was it a restaurant? They said ask this visual AI to give them a image of a like a crawfish restaurant or something like that. And so, to me, just designing where you can have there are no, you could just do anything. That's kind of more difficult than responding to something. So that would be kind of an interesting way to get a design ideas rolling. You know, is that you, you ask the AI for something and then you can do something completely different, of course, but at least it's somewhere to start and respond to in some way. Yeah, I, I think it is. I think it really is interesting. And at the same time, you you know, you have people reacting to that going, oh, my gosh, it's going to, you know, what's this going to do to architecture? You, you know, somebody somebody turned me on to an Instagram account that I started following. And then like the very next day, they they. um Posted something about AI, and I think I think the account is really more aimed towards interior designers. But you know, it's in the same realm. It's in the same. It's it's in the built environment. You know, design services, and they they had this post, and it showed an image. You know, here's what was it? Here here's here's an interior designer designed living room or something like that, and here's a, an AI designed living room. 
and then you know it's one of those carousel posts where you know slide after slide and so th- there's the images and then they kind of talked about ai a little bit and and you know going back and and rereading and i realized that they re- were really talking more about hey you need to be aware of what's going on but a couple of slides in there's one that says how to protect yourself from ai and that's when that's when my my head exploded right because i think that's exactly the wrong attitude right i, I think this oh we're going to stick our head in the sand we're going to we're going to protect ourselves from this they're, they're tools there are tools that we have to be aware of. Yes, we have to learn how to use them to our advantage. And, you know, my my thought is that these tools are going to really distill, like it or not, they're going to distill the value of the architect. And by that, I mean that the things that are commoditized, and that's, to me, that's construction documents. And, and other things, but I think that's one of the big elephants in the room. The things that are commoditized are going to be further commoditized. They're just going to be destroyed in terms of, you know, holding any sort of value, quote unquote. And the real value that you bring is is going to go, it's going to go the opposite direction, right? The, the things that you do that actually bring value are going to shine brighter than than they ever have. And if you don't know what that is, if you can't talk about that, if you can't, quote unquote, sell that, you're going to be in trouble. Right. I can also see how these people, there are lots of people who, well, not a lot of people. There are still people who hand draft. They don't even use AutoCAD. And then there are people who still use AutoCAD and they don't use BIM. And so I can see if you are one of those people who still hand drafts, it would be really hard to embrace AI as a tool because they're not embracing the other tools as tools yet. Yep. yep. So it would feel overwhelming. I feel pretty excited about it as a tool, but as we have previously discussed, there seem to be, you know, different types of people. Sure. Yeah. yeah. And I, I was discussing this with um, my husband and he was saying that he suddenly realized that people talk about the singularity and about robots taking over, but really we are becoming more um, biotechnical all the time. So it's like, we are going to be kind of powered by these robots, but it's not us and them. It's more like we are becoming more automated. So if you look at it that way, um, as an architect, I am becoming more automated with the with the building information modeling systems, but then also with this AI generated thing, because I am, uh, I don't want to say I am commanding it, but I am using it and it's helping me with my output, you know? So it's not like I am separate from it. It's It's just one of the Anyway, but, you know, like Apple watches and other things as we as we become more um, online, our bodies online, you know, how right now the Apple watch can tell what's going on with your heartbeat and all these other things. Anyway, just kind of interesting to think about it merging. We're merging into one rather than it being us and them situation. Right. Yeah, it is. I was as you're saying that I was thinking about the fact that I've I've, I'm 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 going down the rabbit hole. I'm, I'm watching TikTok creators that are trying out different tools and are thinking critically about use cases and things like that. And I'm, I'm learning from those and I'm experimenting, I'm trying different things. And, and the other night I was doing a little bit of research and I, I watched one of those TikToks and uh, the creator was talking about an AI similar to chat GPT, but you would ask it questions. It would give you an answer and then it would, it would cite the sources. 
And I went, wow, that's that's pretty amazing because what I'm doing right now is I'm trying to compile some information. And so I'm Googling, right? I'm Googling, and then I have to make note of what the sources are. You know, how, where's where's a good source for this and that and the other and, you know, drop that in my notes and stuff like that. Or I can just use this layer, this AI layer that's essentially doing the exact same thing, but here are the five sources for that information. It's like, how much more efficient is that? That saves me... That could save me an hour for each each one of my uh, topics or or inquiries. It's amazing. So, you know, I, I I agree. I mean, we we have to. I guess we don't have to. To your point, there are going to be different people doing different things. But in, in the spirit of efficiency, in the spirit of of um, you know our businesses, I think it makes sense. At least it does for me. I also have a neighbor that is a woodworker that creates exquisite things out of wood that doesn't use any sort of pneumatic anything, right? He uses hand tools. He, he has some lathes and table saws and things like that, but, but he is, he is truly, truly crafting beautiful things from wood. He, there's no way that he is going to frame a house Right, he's not going to pull out a pneumatic nailer and and start banging two by fours together and or two by sixes or whatever and and uh, use a pneumatic nailer. Um, and the people that are doing that are probably not, you know, do, doing doing what he's doing over there. And there, there's definitely a value to his level of craft. Um, so, you know, I, I think we I think we need to understand our strengths, but still, you know, it's. He he's not going to. Uh, my neighbor's name is Tom. Uh, Tom's not going to turn down the best tool for the job, right? To to accomplish what it is that he wants to accomplish in the way that he wants to do it. So, I mean, it just it does it does kind of take all time uh, types, but I just don't see somebody who's hand drawing suddenly deciding to catch up. Right, I agree. Yeah, yeah, and Tom's not going to suddenly start using a pneumatic nailer even though those have been around for a long time now, but, but um, yeah, I think, I think that's a good point. It's an important point. So I, I, I love the fact that in our community, there's more and more awareness every day and more and more discussion every day about these AI tools and chat GPT. And, and my, my hope is that a lot of us start to figure out uh, like I'm, I'm, I've got a whole notes file right now where I'm working on workflows. You know, if I do this and this one, and I take that over here, and I, I use that here, and you know, so from point A to point B, these are the different AI tools that I can use to get there. My hope is that we go, hey, you know, here, here are things that we can do as architects to, uh, to really provide a better client experience or, you know, whatever it is that we, we need to accomplish. You know, what would be really amazing is if I could hire a virtual assistant who's actually a virtual assistant, not just a remote assistant, an actual virtual assistant who then just does all of my administrative stuff without me really having to worry about it. They kind of anticipate my needs and ask me relevant questions. I give them that information and then all my administrative stuff is just done. You know, if that doesn't exist, we can't be far from it. I saw an ad 
in the last week or so. I forget what the name of the platform was, but it was basically a project management app that claims to be AI driven or something like that, that schedules and reschedules tests on your calendar and, and things like that, uh, based on the way that you know, you actually get work done. You know, I don't know about you, but I, I can put things in my calendar and go, oh yeah, I never, I didn't actually get that done. Well, apparently it's going to, it's going to reshuffle things and, and reschedule things to make sure that I get the important things done, et cetera. That would be so awesome. And if you're running late, you say, uh, call so-and-so and reschedule for my appointment for this other day and then reschedule my book. And then it could, it could give you notices. You have this meeting in 10 minutes or the traffic. It's this is what it happens right now already where, where, um, I don't even know who it is, but these announcements come onto my screen saying traffic is light. You will get there 19 minutes, which has gotten me to meetings uh, that I forgot I had so many times. Not probably, I mean, not all the time, but probably once every couple of months, I see that pop up at all. The tools are there and, you know, maybe it's a matter of stringing them together. It's certainly a matter of learning to use them because how many of us actually use the tools that we have to to anywhere near their potential, but but when we talked to uh, Ken Coleman, one of the things he talked about was passion. I think he brought it up because I asked him, you know, he's created, he came up with this idea of the proximity principle. And for those of you that are listening, if you don't know what the pro- proximity principle is, it's basically the idea of asking yourself, who do I need to know? What, whatever my big goal is, I need to accomplish this big goal. The book itself is framed around the idea of finding your dream job, or making a career change, but it's super easy to change that context. This works anywhere. And so the questions you have to ask are, who do I need to know? Where do I need to be? And what are the things that I need to start doing? You can't will yourself to do the work. You can't say, I'm going to get up at 5 a.m. every day this year, and I'm going to do this, this, and this. I'm going to do the cold shower, and then I'm going to do the the workout, I'm going to do this. and this. You can say all that, but you will not do it if you don't care deeply about what's on the other side of that. So the word here is passion. And passion gets, honestly, it gets it gets beat up. I see people in my space on social media going, no, don't follow your passion. And I get it. I But, but passion, as you guys know, is a, is a fundamental part of my methodology. Talent's what we do best. Passion is what we love to do. This is a, a form of work. It's a task, a function, a role. Mission is what motivates us. In other words, results that matter deeply to me. Passion and mission together is what really drives action. So what I mean by passion is the root word of passion um, is in, in the uh, Latin is pati, P-A-T-I. And there's and there's another word in German which it escapes me right now. But what's fun about the German word for passion and the German, I mean the and the Latin word for passion is they both mean basically the same thing, and it means to suffer. But we kind of think of passion as a romantic love, or well, I just really enjoy it. But real passion, the root of that, and the true understanding of it is, is that I am willing to suffer all manner of things. I'll suffer patience. I'll suffer rejection. I'll suffer failure. And I'll do all of that because of the outcome, because of the love. I love this and I care about the results that it produces. So the answer to why they don't do it 
is because they don't want it bad enough. They don't want it bad enough. It is that simple, right? It's three steps. Simple. Simple doesn't mean easy, but it's three simple steps. Why aren't more people doing it? So he said, one of the problems is, is it's that not being easy, right? It's, it's the fact that you have to put in the work. And that's when he started talking about the passion. You know, if, if you've got this passion for this, this big goal that we're talking about, that means that you have to be willing to sacrifice. And the way that I, I took that and I took it this way because I've heard him on other interviews talking about it, but it's that idea that, man, I've got to, I've got to do this and I've got to do this and I've got to do this. I'm not really thrilled about doing those things. I'm not really super passionate about those things, but that's the stuff that has to be done to get me to that point. And maybe to help with the segue to go from the AI to this is if I had tools, right? if I had an, like you said, a virtual assistant like that, that could take care of some of those things that they don't bring me energy, right? They, they, they sap my energy. I don't want to do those things. I don't want to reschedule that or make that phone, you know, all that. I don't have time to, I'm driving, whatever the situation is, how fantastic would that be? And, and maybe it, it limits the amount of sacrifice that we, we have to make in order to achieve those goals that we're passionate about. Yeah, I don't think it's the same thing, though, because that would be for once you've already gotten your dream job and you are so busy being the head honcho or very important person. So then that's why you have your support staff. Right. And they used to have them. If you think about those women who used to help those executives and they probably still do. But in the old TV shows, executive assistant or something like that. Well, they were their secretaries back then, I think, but they did everything for them. They knew everything. They got the presents for their wives and kids and whatever. It was like, they took care of their whole lives. And I, so many times have thought that is exactly what I need. And if I could get a virtual one where I don't, I would, that who, who just knows me and, and can anticipate my needs and takes care of everything and does it really well, because it's actually a machine and not a person who has a heart attack or whatever inconvenient thing would happen to my um, assistant. I don't know, that would be so great. And I think eventually we won't have to learn how to use it so much. I, I bought a, I bought an, I bought, I don't even know what it is, a project management system that is just too, it requires too much for me. I feel like I'm just going to just swallow the money I spent on it because I, I don't want to spend any more time dealing with it. I mean, it's only me. I don't have to put in a, anyway, I don't, it turns out it's just too much for me, but I'm hoping that one of these days it'll just be all automatic. Like it used to be word processors, you had to put in the, all of the information before you started your document. Do you remember that? Like the L120, R20 and the whole thing. And now all you have to do is start the program and just write and all that's taken care of for you. So I'm assuming it'll be kind of Mac, a Macified virtual assistant. Yeah, it, it has to it has to move in that direction. It has to move. And, and this I think this is part of what scares people is the further it moves towards being intuitive, the more accessible it becomes. Right. And I've, I've seen that in some people's comments. Oh, well, if I design custom homes and a client, if, if I design custom homes using Revit, and I'm just making this up, this does not exist at this point, but if I design custom homes using Revit and Revit has a built-in AI, this is going to take a, you know, some number of prompts and then it's going to generate construction documents on its own that meet code that, that have all of the all the wall sections and all the window schedules and all those things 
right? It's just going to do that, quote unquote, automatically. Then why can't a client just buy Revit and do that? Well, the answer will be they can, but they won't know all the prompts, right? They won't understand. It'll be intuitive to some level, but your expertise is still going to be necessary to get to get to the the desired point. But that's I, I was I'm going back to TikTok. I was watching a creator last night that was explaining. And I think the way he said it was explaining how to establish your relationship with chat GPT, which was, was like, oh, okay, I'm going to have a relationship with this AI now. Was it that guy who said like, you say this and I like, you want this yeah. and I want this. That's, yeah, that's I think I one. saw that video. Yeah. 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 That's the one. And to me, it, it's sort of like the, the R20 and, you know, or R2 and whatever, but it's, but it's, it, it's setting up the roles. Right, it's setting the ground rules, and it's moving us towards the best possible outcome here. Yeah, which is awesome. I I was pretty excited about that video. Yeah, and and I think I think it was you who was saying like the person who's going to be or the job that's going to be valued. One of the jobs is the one who can get give Chat GPT the right prompts to get the information that you want. I mean, that's going to be the key is learning how to do that, which is similar to learning how to research a paper. I mean, it's really no different than things we learned in school. <clears throat> high school or college that is yeah that, that's exactly right being the one who kn knows how to use the tool the best gets the best output i just have to laugh because back when i was in college there would be a couple books first of all people took books out of their library so not all the books would be there that you wanted and so if you didn't get the book you wanted because there was no other source of information <laughs> that you had to go for this book well this book's Really, who talks about what I want, but it's 1929 was written, <laughs> whereas this book was 1968, was a little newer. You know, like the idea that we just had to kind of vet the um, the material that we had available to us, which was simply what was on the shelf, and someone else could take the book that we wanted. It's so different than that now. It's so exciting. Oh yeah, it absolutely is. It's so I was doing something with Chat GPT um, over the weekend, and. I was asking it, first I asked it to summarize, give, give me a detailed summary of, of this book and give me a detailed summary of this book. Now compare and contrast those two. Now, uh, I forget what I said, but, but, but create a unique outline taking the points from this book and that book and applying it to the situation. And it is fascinating to watch that work or i mean watching it work means really looking at a blinking cursor but but to see the the output that comes from that and then the thing is i still have to take that and turn it into something that's usable because you look at it and it's some of it's very vague you know you have to go deeper some of it you know does does not read like a human being would would read etc so you, you still got to do a lot of work on it but in terms of of doing the the initial legwork and all of that. Absolutely amazing. It's amazing. Just the internet's amazing, but you know, I won't get into that again. But getting back to um the passion. So my notes say that uh the real passion means that I'm willing to suffer all the manner of things to achieve whatever that outcome is that I want, which I get because I have been, you know, just slogging through basic goal achievement to get to the big goal that I needed to do that I didn't want to do, but I did it. And I guess that would be the suffering. I did that stuff because I really wanted the outcome. 
what is why did he say he was sick of being the only guy at his pity party do you remember him saying that anyway talent plus passion plus mission equals purpose this also came up and we talked about it a little bit but this also came up this 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 passion idea i think it's related to this passion idea about architects um living sleeping eating drinking architecture and that's what we need to do and that that came up in the facebook group and i just in a similar way that I kind of reacted to this idea that I'm supposed to be passionate every day, get out of my bed. I can't wait to get to my work. I mean, I feel that way when I'm excited about achieving a different goal, like whatever the goal may be. But once I've achieved the goal, then I'm working on that thing that I've set up for myself. Yeah. So I think, I think the, I'm the only person at my own pity party. I think that came from, he, he brought up the, um, the term from neuroscience that basically says you know, when, when you become more aware of something and, and the first example he used was the buying the car, right? So you, you, you buy this car that you didn't know that much about. You hadn't seen that many. And all of a sudden, once you buy it, you see, that's the only car you see tons of those on the road. Right. And I I think what he was, I, I think he went from there to talking about, you know, you get to, if you say, Hey, you know, that none of this ever works out for me, et cetera, et cetera. It becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy and, and you, you, you create your own pity party, right. That, that you're, uh, I, th- I think that's where that came from. And the thing, I think one of the things that I said in, at that point in the conversation was that I was worried that some of us, maybe many of us, are not that passionate about what we're doing. And I think I, I think the reality of what happens a lot of times is we start doing something, we start building something, we get into the day-to-day of it, we get into the reality of it, we get into the routine of it, and it just becomes this repetitive, you know, I'm checking these boxes today, I'm checking these boxes today. And um, I've told this story before of, waking up one morning and asking myself, when did I decide to build this, this social media agency? And, um, that had happened, you know, I, I had, I had gotten to the point where I was doing, uh, social media consulting for a number of architecture firms across the country and, and had two, sometimes three, sometimes four people helping me with all of that. And I woke up one day, you know, when, when did I decide I was going to do this? I didn't. I never decided I was going to do that. I was doing that because I kept saying yes. You know, client clients asked, "Oh, can you do this?" Yeah, I can. I can do that. We can do that for you. And you know, that day when I woke up and I asked that question, it was that was the realization. It's like I didn't. I didn't want to do this. Right. I wasn't passionate about this. And and so maybe you know maybe it's me projecting my own experience on others. But that was one of the things that that concerns me is. How many people are waking up in the morning going, you know, I've I've got to go, you know, draw another whatever or design another whatever. And that's not what I signed up for, right? That's not what I was trying to do, which leads me to the question, what do we need to do to pivot? And no judgment, obviously, against any of that because it's been there, done that. But what do we need to do to pivot and focus on the things that we really do want to build and the things that we really do want, you know, that we are passionate. It's not, I don't think it ever takes away the waking up on Monday morning and go, okay, I've got a red line. 
this set of of CDs, you know, that's, that's just part of it, right? That's part of the sacrifice, I guess. But, and I'm, I'm, I, I'm with you. I don't, I do not agree. I do not think that every architect has to live, breathe, bleed architecture 24 hours a day, everything else be damned in order to be an architect. In fact, I've got questions, right? If, if that's what you, if that's what you do, if that's what you think, I've got questions. I, I don't, I, I don't think that fits the human condition very well, honestly. No, it doesn't. I mean, I read that and I, it was, uh, it doesn't, it doesn't allow any space for children or friends or spouses or any relationships or anything. It's just a hundred percent architecture. And I guess one reason I love being an architect is because there are so many different aspects to it. Whether it's like running the business or so many different kinds of buildings and client relationships and everything. So it's enough to keep me interested in there's so many different things to learn that it's very interesting to me. But at the same time, I understand there are different types of architects. And I guess I just happen to be one of those more generally curious about the world architects and, and it expands beyond just architecture. But sometimes architects make me feel a little bit like I'm not, I'm not really my heart's really not in it because it's not what I eat, live, breathe. And, you know, I love a lot of other things. Well, I, I think that's a really good point though. You know, if, if you're that one dimensional, you know, and I, I realize I might be on thin ice here, but I mean, if you're that one dimensional and like you said, I mean, the, the, the profession is incredibly diverse in the problems that you solve and the types of projects and the types of clients and all of those things. If you're operating in the I eat, sleep, breathe, whatever mode, first of all, again, I've got questions. I don't think you're honest. I don't think you're being honest about it. Uh, I'm just calling you out right now and you can you can leave us a rating. You can send us a message, whatever. But I, I'm calling you out right now. I do not think you're honest about it if that if if you're that's your story and you're sticking to it. How did how do you learn about anything? Cultures, building science, AI. How do you learn about anything? Right. If if you are that one dimensional, I don't I don't buy it. Yeah, maybe it's something we need to tell ourselves or pretend is true so that it can justify not getting paid much money for doing what we do for 60, 70 hours a week or something like that. Right. Like, well, if you love it, just like it goes back to that whole Cyarch discussion, like, you know, it's this is what you're lucky to be a part of this thing because everybody's so passionate about it. And you could be with people who just are 100 percent architecture. I don't know. Yeah, I'm just not choosing to I'm not choosing to build my life like that anymore. So, you know, if you love it, you'll never work a day in your life, that kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Um, I I am I am all about finding the thing that you're passionate about. And, and the proximity principle that we just read, uh, we just talked to Ken Coleman, the author. It's all about that, right? Ken Coleman's story starts, you know, he as he explained it to us, starts when he was 16. He thought he wanted to get into politics. At some point, he realized, uh, yeah, this isn't this isn't really what I thought it was going to be. This isn't what I really wanted. So he he you know, came to a point of reckoning and said, Hey, you know, broadcasting. And originally it was sports and he did that for a while. He learned, you know, he did all the things that, uh, surrounded himself or the people, uh, all the different types of people that he talks about and put himself in the right places and all that did the work. 
and then one day realize, yeah, I don't think sports is really the thing. The sports broadcasting is is really the thing that I want. So he pivoted, and and now he's I mean, still in broadcasting, but it's a different type. And I think having having a focus on what you really want to do is is absolutely important. But if if that's you know if that I'm gonna call it one dimensional. If you're that one dimensional, how do you know when to pivot, right? If you if you love it so much that you never work a day in your life, fantastic. That's awesome. But remember, it's probably more than a year ago or not, or, or so now when we talked about, do you have a job, a hobby, or a business? Are you building a business? Because that's going to take you out of the one track mind, right? You have to you have to put in the work. You have to do the stuff. That's not architecture. No, it's not. I mean, that's the funny thing too about. Like, I just think people just say that because they like to say that to be. I like, agree. They're just hardcore architects. You know, that's it. Their whole life is architecture. Well, that's great. I mean, I love uh, plants. Those also relate to architecture. I love ghosts. I think to me, those relate to architecture. I know this too, like, sounds kind of wacky for me to say that, but one other thing I love about old houses is the stories and the history that took place within them. You know, so that's the thing that I like about it and the whole idea of people's stories. People who just say, I just love architecture and I have my own firm. Like you can't only love architecture because you have to do all the other stuff. You have to do the marketing and learn about that. You have to do the accounting or you have to have at least stuff to give to your accountant. You have to run the business, like you said, and build a business and, you know, a legacy firm and the whole, there's so much that doesn't, has nothing to do with architecture. So, I mean, it's impossible for, it's just impossible for that to actually be true. I know this is, uh, I know number one, we need to to wrap this up because we're running out of time, but also this is a rabbit hole that we should chase another day. But I think, I also think that those comments are what get people to architecture school, you know, convince a young person to be passionate, really, really passionate about something. They get into architecture, like, gosh, you know, I'm I'll play all the stereotypes. I'm going to wear black. I'm going to be up all night. I'm going to do this in studio and I'm going to be dedicated to my art and all of this. And that also doesn't match up with reality. And I, and I see that in the students that I teach that when, when they have that realization, it's like, oh my gosh, it's like, this is, this is what I thought this was going to be. This is what it is in school. And then, oh, look, the city county council has to approve this. I've got to present this to a group of neighbors who don't care about my passion for this, that, or the other, or this material or, you know, core tin steel or whatever. Um, they don't want their sidewalks to be stained, but, but um, it's, I, I don't know, I guess, I guess I'm, I'm beating that the the horse of I don't I don't buy it yeah I don't buy it either I I just feel like it can't be true but if you happen to be an architect who says well I have a lot of other interests then you're just not in the club anymore sort of thing or you're just kind of looked at one whatever happened to the Leonardo da Vinci the the renaissance man exactly shouldn't architects be the renaissance people we should be we should I feel like we should be and we can bring our sense of design and puzzle solving and curiosity to so many different things in the world, like putting a meal out on a table, the way it's all composed and everything else, like designing a menu or wrapping a present. I mean, anything in your life can be. You know, honestly, the way you said that, it reminded me, and I know this, this may seem very staged, but it's not. It it reminds me bringing, back, bringing me back to the, the uh, proximity principle. That's one of the things I like about the book is he talks about these the five types of people the five types of places and the four action items. And it's almost like this puzzle, 
right? Oh, okay. I can start to think about this and how do I find these people, you know, this type and this type and this type and, and how do I do this in this place and da, 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 da. and then what do I need to do? And, and that's a little bit of insight, I guess, on some of the types of books that I like. It's, okay. I can go through this and go step one, step two, step three, kind of. Give you some guidance. Yeah. I mean, I have to admit after reading the proximity principle, I realized that I just, if I want to get more involved with the old houses that are on the market or recently sold or whatever, I need to go talk to the people who are in town, who have an office in town, who claim to be the old house realtors. I mean, I really just need to go talk to them and I just need to. So the proximity principle made me remember that, yeah, I do need to take some action to get what I want. Again, it's simple. It's a, it's a simple framework. Doesn't mean it's easy because you have, you have to do the things and you know, I raised my hand to this too. There are a lot of times I go, yeah, I'm not doing the things that I need to do, but yeah, check it out. Uh, if you want to know more about uh, or hear more of this conversation that we had with Ken Coleman, maybe the easiest thing to do is to go over to the Entree Architect YouTube channel. There is a playlist for all of the Context and Clarity live conversations, including our conversation with Ken Coleman, the author of The Proximity Principle, and um, and let us know. You can comment over there on YouTube. You can, you can uh, comment and give us a rating, give us feedback wherever you're listening to this now. We appreciate that. We, we want that because, number one, it helps other architects find uh, this podcast and find context and clarity and expose them to these great guests that we have every week that share their knowledge share their expertise, share their wisdom with us. So uh, please give us, give us that feedback, uh, give us those ratings, all of those things. Uh, we appreciate you. Thank you uh, for listening. Thank you for participating in everything that is context and clarity. As always, please be well, stay safe, keep those around you safe and well. Find a little bit of time to breathe and relax. Find a way to rejuvenate. We do context and clarity every weekday, so you have to pace yourself been doing this for almost three years now. So thank you for going along this journey with us. Thanks for making this possible. Uh, and I say this a lot too. If it weren't for you, we wouldn't have had this conversation with, with Ken Coleman. We would not have read his book, The Proximity Principle. So thank you for this opportunity. And we hope that you'll listen again next week. All right. Well, now you know what we thought and what we're going to do with what we learned but what did you think? What did we miss? I really hope that there was some big takeaway from either the Context and Clarity Live conversation or our breakdown here that will help you with your business. DM me on Instagram or Twitter and let me know what your takeaways are. You can find me on all the socials at at Jeff underscore Eccles. That's at J-E-F-F underscore E-C-H OLS. So send me a message and let me know what your takeaway was. And if you want more conversations like this, subscribe to the Context and Clarity podcast where you're listening right now and leave us an honest review and a rating. Those things really do help us to get the message out and help more architects just like you. Oh, and also now you can follow us on Instagram as well as get a heads up on everything that's coming up. There we're at context underscore clarity. In our next episode, Catherine and I will host Context and Clarity Live again with a new special guest and a new theme for the week. And we'll come right back here 
backstage again to break it all down for you again. There's always something new to look forward to. And if you love content like this, check out Gable Media. It's a multimedia network for people like you that care about the built environment. And it's the home of Context and Clarity. With Gable's growing family of podcasts and video channels, I know that you're going to find something there that interests you. You can learn more at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. And finally, if the topic of today's episode is of particular interest to you and you'd like to dig deeper into it, then join me over in the Entree Architect Community Facebook group. That's where every weekday afternoon at 4 p.m. Eastern, I host Context and Clarity Conversations. And we take these topics, topics like this, and we dig deeper. We have a conversation in real time to try to find more clarity around the things that matter most to you. So thanks for listening. I hope our time together has inspired you to think about your community, your practice, and how you can support those around you. Catherine and I will be back for our next episode. And in the meantime, I hope you'll join me and the Entree Architect community on Facebook today at 4 p.m. Eastern so that we can help each other find more clarity around the topics that matter most, no matter what your context may be. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like, how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that (laughs) then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it guys. Oh my the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success.